Hey everybody, um, we're reading Psalm 100 tonight. Psalm 100, a psalm for giving grateful praise. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. For the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Hello. My name's Jonathan. I'm just a donkey from the morning service. But if you read the book of Numbers, you know even uh, sometimes God gives donkeys the chance to speak. Please pray with me. Heavenly Father, I wish my heart would stop trembling, but it never seems to. But at the same time, I'm glad my heart trembles, and I hope all our hearts would tremble tonight, because you would give us a glimpse, as we've talked about already, of your glory, of your goodness, of your worthiness of praise. Would you please answer this prayer in the name of Jesus, through the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen. When did you last shout? When were you last shouted at? (laughs) Yeah. Uh, I thought I would uh, yell a few times in the morning service, and that way tonight I'd be able to uh, have a better answer than I did this morning. But unfortunately, the day is long. <laughs> yeah. Most likely for me, it is in anger. I've last yelled and in anger, last been yelled at. Now, I imagine for many of you, you have nobler answers. And our psalmist, this, our psalmist does too. He speaks of a much better shout, an ear-splitting noise, a triumphant shout, a loud cry. It's a joyful shout, a shout of joy unto the Lord and a shout that he invites others to join in. And what a marvelous theme this is. Imagine a heart so filled with awe, wonder and thankfulness that the mouth cannot but help but open and sing forth loudly the praises of God. This is what we are invited into. Indeed, Isn't this what we were made for? In the same way, I sometimes lose my control of my tongue in anger. So I long to lose control of my tongue in joy. As we ponder God and our reason for joy, I hope your heart too would erupt. It would erupt forth in an unrestrainable way with joy with thanksgiving towards the Lord. And I hope that the next time that any of us raise our voice, it would be in thanksgiving and grateful praise. I want to say about this psalm, I read it and I I find there's a rhythm to it, like a man who's speaking from experience. He's not encouraging others to do what he has never done. 
He's like a man who's telling about a path that he's walked or a mountain he's climbed, a battle he's fought, a river he's drunk from. He knows the joy of the Lord, and so he invites others into it. And isn't that always more compelling when a man shares of what he knows and invites others to join in? Let's begin. Verse 1. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. We're instructed to shout for joy to the Lord. And I want to stop there and consider what kind of joy we're reading about in the Bible. There's actually a lot of joy written about in the pages of Scripture. An incredible amount of joy. And a lot of those references to joy are often alongside singing and praise in response to either who God is or what he's done. And I want to consider two references of joy with you from the New Testament. If you have a Bible, you're welcome to turn to Matthew chapter 13, verse 44. A well-known verse. The kingdom of heaven is like a treasure, hidden in a field. And when a man found it, he hid it again. And then in his joy, he sold all he had and bought that field. A pearl of great price, that text is often referred to. A person does not shout for what he does not delight in. A person does not take any joy in what he doesn't value. Uh, my daughters, any coin they fight, they find fills them, fills them with excitement. <laughs> Their little faces light up and they look around, look what I've found! Ten cents! And uh, it doesn't matter my lack of enthusiasm. <laughs> their excitement isn't diminished, and they find somewhere to store their treasure. The man Jesus speaks about in Matthew has found something of great value. His face lights up, his heart is lightened, he's overwhelmed. This I want more than anything. Everything else seems worthless by comparison. He'll sell all that he has to obtain what his heart delights in. And so we see a picture of real joy, something that catch, captures your heart in a way that nothing else seems desirable, nothing else seems dear in comparison. Imagine finding something that, that precious to you, so precious that you would gladly give up all you have to obtain it. And the obtaining of it doesn't make you wretched and poor. I say that because there are things in this world that you can give everything up for and end up with sorrow and poverty. But that's not what I'm talking about tonight. I'm talking about something that you give everything up for and that makes you richer and richer more joyful, more joyful. What I'm talking about, of course, is God, the Lord. For the Lord is so precious that should we give up all we own and everyone we care for, we would still be rich beyond compare. God is the pearl of great price, the, ones whom, the one whom's, 
the one whom's whom's is whom's a word yeah anyway his stuff him i'm gonna fail tonight to adequately share with you his goodness and his glories it's more than i can put into words more than we can fathom more than i can properly i can't compare to anything adequately and now for a second example of joy hebrews 12 verse 2 For the joy set before him, he endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I chose this example because joy is not a life lived at ease. It's a looking forwards, it's a looking upwards to our home in heaven, reunited with the Father, reunited with one another, that which Christ was willing to endure agony, the taunts and tortures of men, the abandonment of God at his hour of need, our sin waited upon his shoulders, and the dregs of God's wrath willingly drunken. Joy is a light in the soul when, all, when everything around you is darkness. Jesus knew the value of God. He knew the joy of being with God the Father before the creation of the world. And he longed deeply to be back where he came from once he'd come here. After all had been accomplished, he knew he would have his greatest heart's desire back with the Father, in union, in joy, the Father delighting in the Son, the Son delighting in the Father, and the Holy Spirit rejoicing with them. Joy, joy, joy in one another and in himself. And God, being who he is, longs to invite us into that, into that joy, that joyful union. Jesus invites us in to the presence of God, to the abundance of joy, And it's hard to read the Bible and find any other conclusion than God is the answer, the purpose, the fulfillment of all we could want and hope for. Jesus knew it. He fought for it. He lived for it. He died for it. He rose again for it. That we would know the Father and his joy would be our joy too. God is the joy of these pages. And God is the reason we are instructed to shout for joy. Now before we move on to verse 2 of the psalm, there's something to be said about the words, all the earth. It says, shout, to, shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. To know God is to know joy. And how can you know joy and not long to share it? I don't know anybody who can hear really good news, really good news, and not tell someone about it and never speak of it again. (laughs) I have people tell me really average news all the time. (laughs) Now, if we sing, we want others to sing too. If our hearts are full, I want your heart to be full. And if that's not the case, there's something wrong, isn't there? For a river... 
can't be filled to f- overflowing and not go anywhere. <laughs> we know a lot about what happens with lots of water. Indeed, the more the rain, the faster the rapids. The more water, the heavier it falls. The more joy, the more the telling. And as we, the church, delight ourselves more and more in God, it will be increasingly difficult not to share that which we delight in with others. For if a banquet is set and delicious food brought, wine to drink, maybe soda, depending on the age, but anyway, but if a banquet is set, who longs to sit there and enjoy it by themselves? No. For good things are made better, if possible, through the sharing of them. Isn't that true? We send invitations. Come, join me in this feast. We'll enjoy it together. Is it not when love grows cold that we forget to share? When love dwindles that we think less often of the object of it? Well, shout for joy. For God's love has not dwindled. His love is as strong as ever. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. Verse 2 of this psalm. Worship the Lord with gladness. Come before him with joyful songs. Is gladness a choice? Can we choose a joyful song? Well, the psalmist seems to be instructing us to do so. And it is as a joyful singer unto others. Like Miriam, when Israel had fled from Egypt, crossed the river, and their enemies laid scattered on the shore. It says in Exodus that Miriam grabbed her tambourine and all the women with her. They went out and they sung and they danced. Miriam sang, Sing to the Lord, for he has triumphed gloriously, the horse and the rider thrown into the sea. Isn't it natural in response to good things to sing and to dance, to be glad and to let that gladness be known? Similarly, the psalmist knows the goodness of God, has seen something of his glory, and now being glad to worship with his heart filled with a pleasant theme, he encourages others, join in. It's difficult to teach people what you don't know, but if you do know the righteousness of God, if you do know the the goodness of God, if you know the joy of the Lord, then you know that as one humbles themselves, and praises him for who he is, for what he's done. Your heart fills with joy. The more you adore him, the more satisfied you will be. There is no one else like him. There is nothing else like him. Every person, however grand, will eventually show forth their blemishes, but God is without blemish and worthy of praise. Consider the famous King Solomon, who searched the whole earth and everything under the sun and only found emptiness, nothingness, vanity. This psalm is not that. In contrast, it is full and not empty. It is not a lost soul but a joyful one, and it is so because it has delighted itself in God and not the things he has created. False worship robs us of joy. 
It is actually misplaced devotion that so often weighs us down. It can, however, be righted. Have you sought joy in the world but only found sorrow? Worship the Lord now with gladness. Have you sought the approval of men and sung their names only to find them but men and and left hurt and ashamed? Come now before the Lord with a joyful song. You have not finished the first before you have reason for another and another. Through life, through death, and for all eternity, there will be reason after reason to be renewed in joy and song and praise for God's beauties are undiminishing and his glories unfading. As he knows, so he shares. And the psalmist informs us in verse 3 of something of whom we worship. He's instructed us and now he tells us something of the one we are instructed to worship. Verse 3. Know that the Lord is God. It is he who made us and we are his. We are his people, the sheep of his pasture. So the Lord is God. What does that mean? Who is God? Well, the psalmist tells us. He's the one who made us. Our maker. Isn't that enough in itself? Is not the devotion we show towards our parents in part because they gave us life? And they but sinners. And they just reproducers of life. Yet God, the creator of life, not just a reproducer. The one who made all that we now see with a word from his mouth, who molded us from mud, and breathed life into us, who instructed us in life and living and gave us all that we need to flourish. Our Creator. How can we not worship the one who made us? Now, in the NIV, it says, and we are his, with a footnote that says, it could also be he who made us and not our, not we ourselves. And I actually think that's a really poignant point, which I would like to expand on. For there's no man on earth who had anything to do with his own creation. It is God, just God. We could offer no help at all in the process, and it's worth pondering and considering that Adam didn't earn his life before it was given to him. When Adam opened his eyes, there was a mountain to climb, there was a field to tend, there was a river to drink from. And then he fell asleep and he woke up and there was a companion for him. He contributed nothing. Everything was provided. What was left for Adam to do but to listen to his loving father and thank him? There is enough reason for praise in our declaration that the Lord is God, our maker. And yet there is more to him than that, isn't there? For after he had made Adam, Adam rebelled. And as Adam did, so have we done. In our house, if you build a Duplo tower, you're allowed to knock down your own Duplo tower, not anybody else's. And this is pretty fair. It's um, received pretty amicably. For the owner's free to dispose of their own property, aren't they? We're not surprised when uh, asbestos homes are safely removed. We're not surprised when a mouldy loaf is tossed out. 
We're not surprised when a cancerous growth is cut away. We're glad at those things. If salt has lost its saltiness, the Bible tells us, it's good for nothing and thrown out to be trampled underfoot. If men reject their creator, spit in the wind, poison their own cup, refuse to follow their guide, what hope is there for them? We're compelled as Christians to praise God not only because he is our maker, though it would be enough, but also because we are the sheep of his pasture. If children were always obedient, continually kind and generous, without spot and blemish, you may be tempted to say of the parents, of course they love them. But when you see a mother or a father lovingly correcting, patiently enduring, kindly instructing their rebellious children, isn't their love made more apparent? It is in the love of sinners that God reveals how merciful and kind, how loving he really is. He takes sinners and calls them the sheep of his pasture. He took Israel, a slave nation, and rescued them from Egypt, not because they were more righteous than the other nations, but because God loved them and made his name known through the keeping of his promises to them. And so it is with us too. We belong to him, not because of our righteousness, but because of his. He made us and has poured out his love towards us, and that we and indeed that all might know his gracious name. He could have disposed of us, and nobody could have faulted him for it. But he rather chose to go in search of us, and finding us caught in the thicket. Gently but strongly, he lifted us to his shoulder and carried us home. And so we have reason to sing. Verse 4. Enter his gates with thanksgiving, his courts with praise. Give thanks to him and praise his name. (sighs) What can a man who has nothing give? to the one who has it all. What can a son give to an always loving father? In what way can a child reward his parents? I think in one way, thanksgiving. We come empty-handed to God's gates and we find them open. And yet a man turns up with his righteous deeds and he finds them closed. Another man turns up with greater wealth and accomplishments, but the gates are cold, steely, and shut. We can read in the book of Acts of an Ethiopian eunuch, likely turned away from the temple in Jerusalem, though he rode in the queen's chariot and had charge of all her treasure. He could not enter God's courts through his abundance, but rather only through his poverty, for it was when he acknowledged that he did not understand what he was reading that the Apostle Philip could explain to him about the Christ. What he could not purchase was freely given. Here come the children of God, empty-handed, humble and in need. The gate is open to them. What can we do or say but thank you? Enter his gates with thanksgiving, because truly it is all you can offer the one who made you, sustains you, redeems you, shepherds you, 
He made you. We have rebelled, but He offers pardon. We're filthy, but He makes us clean. We have nothing and He offers everything. We've earned punishment and He desires mercy. All of our wretchedness swallowed up in His kindness. And so we enter His gates with thanksgiving. And yet still there is more to His goodness. The unimaginable kindness of God is that we are then welcomed into His courts, welcomed into His home to be with His people. In the courts, the Jews offered sacrifices for sin, sacrifices of thanksgiving, offerings for the removal of guilt, shame and uncleanness, the slaughter of animals and the splashing of blood, a reminder of the consequence of sin, and yet the joy of forgiveness, mercy and pardon. We enter God's courts with similar things in mind. The blood that was spilled for us to belong. Who can lift up their head amongst us proudly as one who deserves their place to be there? Not one. Blood-bought people eating and drinking together and singing songs of praise. What can we bring but a thankful heart and a shout of joy? Verse 5, for the Lord is good and his love endures forever. His faithfulness continues through all generations. Verses 1, 2 and 4 are instructions. Verses 3 and 5 tell us something of the one we are instructed to worship. And I feel that verse 5 is really the crux of all that we have to be thankful for. God's our maker. We had no hand in our own creation. He's our shepherd, and he is good, loving, and faithful. His faithfulness continues through all generations. His love endures forever. Love can be fickle amongst the unfaithful, but God is faithful. Love burns hot and cold amongst people, but not so with God. And so it can be said that there is none like him. We do, not, we do not know him because we have searched him out, but because he has generously made himself known. And what God has ever made himself known like our God? The religions of the world are for the most part the endeavours of men to find out what is beyond their limitations to know. But not so with the God of the Bible. He made himself known through a covenant to Abraham. He chose a slave nation to rescue from the most powerful people of the time. He provided miraculously for stubborn and rebellious people in the desert. He spoke continually to the nations through signs and prophets. And he even condescended to take on flesh and be born of a virgin. He walked the earth. He preached the kingdom. He loved he healed, he forgave. He was compassionate and yet strong, never a coward, unmovable with the arrogant and self-righteous, and yet gentle and encouraging with the broken and weak. He was able to set his face like flint and not be turned aside, and yet a bruised reed he did not break. Who is there like him? Who has cared for humanity like the Lord our God? The angels rebelled, 
And there was no second chance for them, expelled from heaven. And yet ever since Adam rebelled, the Lord has pursued humanity through all history, from generation to generation, and perhaps many generations to come. A moment in time is not enough, and a lifetime is not enough to exclaim his glories. Like the Apostle John writes, if, there, if, if, if we were to put everything he did into books, perhaps the whole world could not contain the volumes. The psalmist tells us God's love endures forever. Forever. It is not even from the earth's creation till its destruction. No, the stars will fall from the sky before, <laughs> before God's love runs out. The moon turned to dust and the sun looked as if, as if an extinguished candle. God's love will never be drained, never fail, has no limit. That is what it means. You could drink from the cup of his love and you could drink all day long and find you have not taken a single drop out of it. God is inexhaustible. How great is our God and worthy to be praised. Shout for joy. If there would be any reason for love to be extinguished, wouldn't it be on my part, on your part, on our part? on the part of humanity. It is needless to study history in order to know the depravity of people and the sadness in the world. If people were willing and people were honest, we could go out tonight and speak to many people and come back here with broken hearts and eyes filled with tears. There are sad stories out there. There are hard lives being lived the hearts of men are deceitful and crooked. There are people who are glad to do wickedness, enjoy it and delight in it. There is sadness, violence, brokenness and rebellion everywhere. And I've given up at times, but not God. Not God. His love endures forever. And yet a sobering thought. Psalm 100 is a song for God's saints. For God's love will not endure forever for those who are not his. Though we sing for joy and invite others to sing, some will not enter those heavenly gates or that beautiful court where God dwells. They are locked out, and not because they are not invited, but because they refuse to come, refuse to let go of what they held in their hands, thought too well of themselves to shout for joy, to bend their knees, to bend their hearts and delight themselves in God. They were too busy in the field, too busy with this, too busy with that, to join the joyful ascension to Jerusalem. But that's a sad song, and this is a joyful one. God's goodness and love endure forever. God's goodness and love took on flesh. Everything that is his is ours. His Father, your Father. His body, your body. His death, your death. His life, your life. His riches, your riches. Shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth. And may the Holy Spirit strengthen us to comprehend His love better, that we might shout for joy to the Lord, all the earth, worship Him with gladness, come before Him with joyful songs, Enter his gates with thanksgiving and his courts with praise 
and give thanks to him and praise his name forever. Amen. Please pray with me. Lord Almighty, whatever comes next for us, we don't know. But into your hands we commit ourselves and the days ahead. Whatever sadness, whatever troubles, whatever calamities, we thank you for the light that you have put in our hearts, for the light that you have shone upon our souls, for the joy that we have in you. And now, Lord, have mercy that we might forsake all else, cling tightly to you, encourage one another, and invite others into this joyful procession to be with you now and always. Amen.